find the area that means the most to you. Find, find the area in, in this movement where you can actually use your skills and use your knowledge. Welcome to the Big Kid Problems podcast, based on the comedic social channel all about not wanting to be an adult. I'm your host, Sarah Merrill, the writer, creator, and pretty normal human behind the popular Instagram, Twitter, blog, and now podcast, Big Kid Problems. So I've spent the last almost decade making jokes about navigating the adult world. And as I've gotten older, I've realized that no matter what your age is, we all have big kid problems. We're all just trying to figure it out. And you know what? That's okay. So each week, we're going to take a funny yet informative look at a specific struggle or big kid problem, if you will. Then we'll break it down with a rotating cast of comedians, personalities, and experts to actually give us the tools and resources to help us solve our big kid problem of the week. From love and relationships, money, career, physical and mental health, bad decisions, and just general life responsibilities, nothing is off limits. So thank you so much for joining me as we navigate adulthood together. Sit back, relax, and enjoy the show. Hi, friends. Welcome back to another week and another episode of the Big Kid Problems podcast. Before we jump into this week's episode, I want to obviously just acknowledge what's been going on around us. It was only two weeks ago that the senseless murder of George Floyd took place, and it feels like our country has completely erupted since then. I mean, this obviously wasn't the first unarmed Black person to be killed by police, and his death has sparked just global outrage, protests across all 50 states, and quite frankly, some long overdue conversations about race and discrimination. Last week, I actually, I pulled the episode I had planned uh, off the air to participate in Blackout Tuesday. And I have to tell you, I'm really happy that I did. I actually really did take that time last week to just dig in and research and reflect and listen and to educate myself better about the Black experience in this country. And maybe you can tell from my somber tone this week, but I'm just... I'm truly sad and I'm angry and I feel a real sense of shame as a white person feeling like I could and should be doing more, especially since I have this platform. And I usually try to stay away from politics in general. Like I know why you guys come to big get problems and it's not exactly to hear my political views. But to me, like saying things like Black Lives Matter shouldn't be a political statement. We're talking about fundamental human rights here. And even though I know that my white privileged ass will never understand what it's like to experience racism or systemic oppression, I want to do better to be an advocate against it. And I think many of you feel the same way I do. Like we want to do something and I feel like listening is a great first step. So that's where we're going to start this week. I'm bringing in Michelle Sahin today. She is a speaker, activist, and co-founder of the organization From Privilege to Progress. It is a national movement that calls on all Americans to join the path to anti-racism by learning and speaking up in their everyday lives. I feel like so many of us are outraged and just want to do something. So I think you'll all really love Michelle's story and hopefully walk away with a whole new perspective and a little bit of a fire under your ass. Like I know I felt that way after having the opportunity to talk to her. So without further ado, please take a moment to get comfy, sit back, relax, and enjoy the show. 
This week's episode is brought to you by Blue Blocks. I don't know about you guys, but I spend a lot of time on the internet, especially these last few months. Like, I don't even want to tell you what my screen time is at. It is truly embarrassing. But all that time looking at digital screens can be damaging to the eye, which is why I wear my Blue Blocks glasses. If you don't know, the blue light from most screens, like from your phone, computer, and TV, can actually damage your eyes and exposure can lead to digital eye strain. Symptoms of digital eye strain are anything from blurred vision to headaches and dry, watery eyes. And for some, it can even cause heightened anxiety, depression, and low energy. For me, I used to just get headaches every day and wonder like, why? is this happening? So Blue Blocks glasses were created to block out blue light. And unlike a lot of other mass-produced blue light glasses, Blue Blocks are backed by the latest science and made under optics laboratory conditions in Australia. Some blue light glasses are pretty nerdy looking, but blue blocks are definitely more fashion forward and come in over 20 styles. I actually have the Magnum computer glasses, which are really cute. And you can also get them in your prescription or non-prescription and readers. So if you want to get your energy back, sleep better and block out those unhealthy effects of blue light, get yourself a pair of blue blocks glasses. And for each pair of blue box glasses purchased, they actually donate a pair of reading glasses to someone in need through the organization Restoring Vision. And I mean, you guys know I just love a good give back component. So head to Blue Blocks today and get free shipping worldwide and 15% off with code BKP. That's Blue Blocks, B-L-U-B-L-O-X.com. I'm also going to link that in show notes and use code BKP for 15% off today. All right, Michelle, thank you so much for being on the podcast today. I really, really appreciate having you here. Yeah. Thank you for having me. Of course. And at first, I mean, I feel like we should just tell the people you you started um, from privilege to progress. And I was hoping you would kind of tell us a little bit about that organization and how you got started. So the way that from privilege to progress got started, um, I co-founded with my partner, Melissa DePino. And it got started because we're the two women that brought to light the racial discrimination of two Black men that were arrested in a Philadelphia Starbucks in 2018. So I was the one who witnessed it and spoke up. Melissa overheard me yelling and she posted the video onto Twitter and it went viral within like 24 hours or 48 hours. Um, so her and I did not know each other that day. We were complete strangers. We just realized, well, I had actually already known this, but she realized that because she had shared the video, it spread all over the world very, very, very quickly because way people had, didn't realize, like, this is what racial discrimination can look like today. You don't have to be saying, you know, like outwardly saying the most crazy racist things to show that you're doing racist things. And people were starting to reflect, oh, okay, well what else am I possibly missing? You know, we were bringing that awareness to people. So we decided a few days later to start this organization while we had the world's attention. And it's specifically about using your privilege and wherever that is in your life and using that for progress. So even in this, even though I'm a black woman who faces racism and discrimination and microaggressions, I still had privilege that day in the sense that that was not happening to me. I was what, not- what exactly was happening for anybody who hasn't seen the video? It's funny because I'd been in Philly for about five years before I, I had only been to that Starbucks once. And that's because that Starbucks in the city is in a very 
a very segregated like white part of the city. So Rittenhouse is like the richest part of Philadelphia, but Philadelphia as a whole is actually a very black city. Like it's more diverse than it is not. But this what this is one pocket where it's not diverse. And so living in Philly for five years, I would walk past that Starbucks. I would walk like three or four more blocks just to go to one that was more diverse. Like I want to walk in a place and see everybody. Right. Mm-hmm. So for some reason this day, my intuition, my gut said, they're like, just try this, this location on again. I don't know why, to be honest with you, now that I think about like my ancestors and whatnot and, and who they were, they were activists in Ghana and they were, they were, they helped liberate Ghana from British rule. I think about that and I'm like, I don't think it was a mistake. I think that like my, my ancestors literally guided me there because a couple of months before this happened, I was Googling how to become an activist. Like I wanted to get involved. It was so weird. So anyways, for some reason I decided to go to this Starbucks that day. I walk in and it was the same scene. There was only like one or two of the black people in the whole Starbucks. And I was like, okay, well, I'm already here. Let's just sit down. And I saw the two guys walk in. They asked to use the bathroom. They went to the counter. They were super, super cute. Like they were so adorable. And also when you're like a person of color and other like black, black people walk in, it's kind of like, okay, like I'm no longer like the only one, you know? So they walk in, they asked to use the bathroom and the barista said, no, it's for paying customers only. And they said, okay. And they sat down and that was literally it's so many people ask, they're like, well, what happened before that video? Nothing. That's how racism works. It doesn't make sense. You see someone that's a different color and you're immediately like, get them out of my space. That's how racism works, right? I don't know what goes through their minds, but that's, it's a very quick, <laughs> quick reaction. Within about five minutes, the cop showed up and I was like, that's weird. I've been here for like 45 minutes or an hour and nothing's happened. So I'm thinking like, maybe they are responding to something that happened earlier in the day. Maybe they're responding to something that happened the day before. And I'm trying to eavesdrop because I'm like, I want to know the drama. Like what's <laughs> going on that was here. And unfortunately what I heard was the barista lie. She just flat out lied. And she said, those two guys in the corner are refusing to leave. I was like, Oh my God. I was probably, and they're just sitting there. They're just sitting there, minding their own business. Literally, they were waiting for their business for their business partner to show up, which he did. Who happened to be a white Jewish guy? Who he he showed up and he started yelling with me. He was like, "How is this not obviously racial discrimination? Like it's Starbucks. People come here to use the Wi-Fi. Like what are you talking about? Especially because there was a white guy sitting next to me the whole time. He didn't have a coffee. So anyway, so I heard her lie. I got really really nervous because. There was no investigation. They didn't ask any follow-up questions. They were just like, okay, we'll remove them. Like, that was it. And I look over at them and they're looking at me and I'm looking at the cop and I see them looking at the cops and, you know, the three or four black people in there are noticing this and we're like, shit, shit, shit. Like, what's happening right now? Like, is something about to happen? And they beelined for these guys. They said, you have to leave. And they were like, why? <laughs> and they're like, because the store owner, or the store manager, she wants you to leave. And they're like, no, you need to explain to us why you want, this doesn't make, we've been here for a few minutes. We, we're not doing anything. This doesn't make any sense. Two cops went to four cops, went to six cops, went to eight cops. Eight cops came to arrest two black guys because they didn't buy coffee. One girl looked, as I'm packing up my stuff, I look over and the, and the girl looked at me. She was packing up her stuff too. She was like, I'm leaving too. But then I looked over at Melissa, who's on my business partner, and she was the only other woman to actually verbally say something aloud and address the Starbucks that day. And she said, you know, I come here all the time. I was just here the other day for four hours. I, I don't buy a coffee. No one ever asks me to leave. And you know why. Mm-hmm. So we like staged a walkout and 
she comes up to me, she goes, this, she goes, this needs to go on, on social media. And at the time I didn't have a Facebook or Twitter. I'm still never on Twitter. And I was barely ever on Instagram. So when it went viral, I didn't know it until friends were telling me, because I told friends what happened. They were like, Michelle, I think I hear your voice in the background of this video. I think I see your hands. And I was like, they were like, this video has gone viral. So I got a random text message from someone that was at the Starbucks that day. They were like, Melissa DePina is trying to find you. So we met up that day. And we met up the following Monday. And we were like, we felt like we were just long lost best friends. And we realized that because we had the world's attention, we had to, we had to do something. So that's literally how it started. Wow. And this is how your organization started and your organization. Now I know it, it, it it's gearing towards people trying to have everyday Americans use their voice um, mm-hmm. and to become everyday activists. And that's why I thought it was so interesting to try and get you on the show. To, to, I think so many of us, especially right now are like, what can I do? I want to use my voice, but they don't necessarily know how. So I know through your work, like, are, do you have advice for people on like how to actually go from being a regular person to an activist? Yeah, it's interesting because like literally that day we were regular people, like didn't have degrees in this, didn't like, we were just regular people that saw something and said something and spoke up. I mean, Starbucks ended up closing 8,000 other stores to do unconscious bias training, which is just absolutely insane. From I'm that video. Yeah, I'm, I'm actually starting a coaching program in a couple of weeks to help people figure that out because it's not just, to me, it's not quite as simple as like, I'm just going to go out there and be an activist. So there's several parts of your life that I think that you need to examine and make changes in, in order for, to be able to manifest the things that you want. You have to look at your relationships. You have to look at how you're spending your time. You know, what things are you, are you taking in? Um, you know, are you manifesting? Are you writing out how the ways in which you want to help? Are you, are you getting clear about that? There, there's, there's so many different factors, but for us, we say if it's specifically about racial injustice, we do ask people to follow us, but you have to start with educating yourself. You know, I think a lot of people are ready and I'm, and I love it. All this energy, people wanting to do something, but you wouldn't go into battle without a weapon. You wouldn't just show up in the front lines, but guys, I'm here. You know what I mean? <laughs> like you wouldn't start a marathon having never trained a day in your life. And unfortunately in this country, so many of us were not taught black history. We were not, which is, which is American history. When we learned American history, we just learned about the things that, the, that like our, our forefathers did, but they were all slave owners. But anyways, um, using slaves to literally build the country. You know what I mean? And so it's like, why isn't that talked about in such an honest way? A lot of us don't know about systemic oppression. We don't actually know how it operates we, because that's never been taught to us. You have to educate yourself first. You have to do things like watch 13th. Um, Listen to the scene on radio, seeing white podcast, read books like stamped white fragility. So you want to talk about race. There's white rage. There's white, like me. There's so many, there's so many books out there and find the area that means the most to you find, find the area in, in this movement where you can actually use your skills and use your knowledge. Like for instance, my friend didn't really know what to do either, but she's the president of a market of a PR firm and she's helping us with our PR right now. Mm. You know, that that's huge for us. That, that, that we've been needing PR for like months. That is huge for us. Maybe she's not an activist. She's not necessarily like marching, but what she's doing matters. She has yeah. a skill set that activists like us need to help get our message out there. Right? I love that point so much. Because I, I think that's, 
I think that's something people are are spending too much time like, oh, I need to do this properly. Like, or they think there's only one way to help. And that is such an important point. Like everybody has their own skills. Like even like I did the same thing. I'm like, what can I do? Like, what are the tools in my toolbox that I can jump on immediately? I'm like, I have a large platform. I'm like, I can start sharing um, some other voices. I can start like sharing information that I'm learning because I had throughout this process, I'm like, I clearly needed to freaking brush up on some shit too. Yeah, me too. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So I love that point that everybody, you just have to like find, like use what you are good at to, to help this along. And you brought up so many great points. And, and one thing you mentioned earlier that I kind of wanted to circle around to is you brought up uh, systematic racism and systematic oppression um, that you've been through. And I would love to hear more about your experience. It's just so different than I think a lot of us understand. And I would love to hear your perspective about like even you growing up. I mean, it goes so deep. Like I learn something new every day and we have to keep up with it because it's always morphing because once people start really finding out about what's going on, then the perpetrators have to change their tactics. You know what I mean? That's why it's so pervasive and it's, we're always trying to catch it because once it really is brought to light, I mean, it's still being done, but they get smarter at it. So my parents are actually from Ghana, so I'm African. And when you come to this country, you want the best neighborhoods and the best schools for your kids. And you're not taught about systemic racism in Africa. So you come here, you want the best schools. Unfortunately, those are only mainly in like white areas. So I grew up in like a completely white town near Hershey, Pennsylvania. We were the only black family in our little town. Literally, there was no, there was a mixed family. And other black families would like move in and move out very quickly. And I assume it's because they experienced racism that like I, we experienced it. We definitely experienced it, but on a different level because we're African. So we weren't viewed like black Americans. I would have friends make racist comments and in the same breath would say, oh, we don't mean you, Michelle, or, well, you're not really like them. And I'm like, you know, like, like, I'm like, wow, okay, this is how they really think about black people. So trying to survive that environment is very mentally and emotionally exhausting. So what I tried to do, to be honest with, with you, I tried to separate myself from the black community. I did not want to be seen as a black American because I knew what a lot of white people thought about black Americans. So I tried to hold on so much to my African identity because as soon as people like, and I would, t- I would like do my own little sociological experiments. Like if I could tell a white person was like not comfortable with me being in a room, overlooking me, over talking me, compl- it was just like be- being so blatant about it. I would start talking about how I was African and I'm telling you, I would watch, I would watch the whole demeanor just change. Oh, you're African. Oh, interesting. And I'm like, oh, like it's so, and so because it happened so many times, that's what I held on to. That's what worked. Literally it worked. So it didn't, it didn't occur to me until later in my life that I actually grew up in segregation. Like, it didn't occur to me. I was like, wait a minute. Holy shit. I was like, hold on. I need to unpack this. I grew, I grew up in, in, in segregation. We were like the exception because we were African. Um, and we spoke a certain way, you know, and this and that. My mom was always laughing and smiling because she's African. And my, my dad and mom with, 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 their, with their heavy accents. And all of a sudden, you know, they're, they're, they're not a threat anymore. It's funny. I actually had an uncle that someone called the cops on my uncle that visited because he was t- he took a walk. One morning when he visited us in the 80s and they called the cops on him, my uncle never visited us again. 
realizing that I realized I have to do all my own education about what's going on in this country. I was experiencing the racism, but I didn't understand it because it wasn't taught to me. I was like, I don't understand what's the issue with black people. I just knew that I didn't want to feel that way. So I had to educate myself, go out of my way. And you realize that it's in every single system. Like our system isn't broken. It's working the exact way that it was designed to work. It was designed to lift up and uphold white people and for power and wealth and control and to hold down the people that they could use to gain the wealth. I mean, America rose to power as fast as it did because it had free labor mm-hmm. for all 200 years. Yeah. These are things that are overlooked in your like middle school uh, history yeah. lesson. Right. Like yeah. oh, our founding fathers, our founding fathers, our founding fathers only became powerful and rich because they didn't have to do any actual work. Mm. They had people doing everything for them building things, cleaning things, making things. I mean, even this is kind of, I mean, it's not necessarily a graphic, but like black, black uh, enslaved women had to breastfeed their, their, their slave master's wife's baby to the point where their own children would starve to death because they weren't allowed to breastfeed the black and white baby from the same breast. Whoa. I did not know that one. Like, no, like it's like they taught, like they brush over slavery and, I'm, and it's like, if they would teach these things accurately in school, I think it could really help with so much racism that happens in, in even elementary school, in middle school, in high school, because when you're only telling a one-sided story, subconsciously that tells the white kids that they're better. They're the ones that did everything. They're the saviors. They come from the forefathers. Oh, we made America great. This and that and the other without acknowledging that there was this entire subset of people that literally were doing all the work for them. Mm-hmm. I, th- I think it's interesting too, when you bring up like that you were actually living in a segregated community and like this to me, when I, when I feel like I learned about segregation, I'm thinking 50, 60 years ago, you know, I grew up, I, I mean, all over our country is so different. Like I grew up in very diverse neighborhoods. I grew up in South Florida. I lived in New York mm. for 10 years. Like, yeah. So it's interesting. I mean, I don't live, I don't, I have now moved. I've lived in other places now. And I'm even learning now, like later in life, like, wow, not every place is like that. Yeah. And it, I feel like it's our jobs, no matter where you are, even if it's not in your neighborhood that this shit's going down, like you have to understand that we're in a large country and it's, it's different in other places. It, it, it is. It's, and it's, and it's, again, it's not on accident, you know, um, when you walk into, there's actually a thing back in the, I forget what year it started, excuse me, this term called white flight, mm-hmm. when, you know, a person of color would move into the neighborhood and white people would actually literally move out. They would leave the neighborhood because they didn't want to even, you couldn't even live near a black or brown person. It was actually like that you had to move. You're going to pick up your whole family and spend all this money to move. You can't, you can't live next to me. And so, you know, banks and, 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 and other property managers and, and, and developers, they do, th- they do things like redlining where, you know, you give two families, black and white, same house, same price, but the black person will have a super high interest rate. That's just not worth it for them to even go into. And they'll give the white person a lower interest rate. So it forces us to have to take what we can get. Who's going to actually rent to us? Who's going to give us a loan with a, with a, with a, an interest rate that we can actually afford? They do things on purpose without having to ever say 
that they're doing something racist because because you don't know the interest rates of necessarily your neighbor. You don't know these things. So it puts us in a position where we can only get what we need. So we have to live in certain and they go, well, you can buy this house and this neighborhood, but then you go to these neighborhoods and they don't have the best schools. They don't have grocery stores even, you know what I mean? Like Mm -hmm. where, I mean, that's how you oppress the people. There's environmental racism. There's a place in, in, um, Louisiana nicknamed Cancer Alley because their cancer rate is astronomically higher than the rest of the country. It's a, it's a black neighborhood that corporations come and pollute right there. I mean, that's what Standing Rock was all about. Standing Rock was they were going to put this pipeline through Native American land that was going to poison their water source. And the, and they had originally were going to do it near closer to a white town. And the white people were like, no. Oh, OK. We'll go to the Native Americans. That's what the whole thing was about. Environmental racism. Racism in healthcare. One reason that Black people don't go to the doctor that often is because we don't trust our doctors. From the beginning of slavery, we were used as, we were, we were property. So you could experiment on us whenever you wanted to, whenever you needed to. And that didn't stop after slavery. They would do experiments on us in neighborhoods without us even knowing it. You go to your doctor and the doctor doesn't, doesn't seem to care about your issue. Like I remember one time my brother actually, and he's a nurse now, so he knew how much he was being neglected. They didn't know that he was a nurse. And he actually, pulled out his own IV and walked out of the hospital because they were completely ignoring him. I just heard a whole, there's like a whole study I just heard too about like pregnant women, like how there's like a whole bias towards like black pregnant women and how they have like three times as many um, complications and in, in delivery. And it's, it, it comes out of that. I mean, this is what like, when we talk about systematic or like systemic yeah. issues, yeah. like it, it's, that's like what I, I'm trying to like make sure like the audience is understanding is it's like it's all areas of life. It's not just like, you know, just the, not just policing. Right. It's it's like I said, it's housing, it's education. I mean, I mean, I mean, look at education. Like, I mean, we weren't even allowed in white schools until when the 60s? Not that long ago. You know, not that long ago. I mean, yeah. You know, again, I grew up, you know, being one of the only black families, like the, the only fully black family in the town, you have to ask yourself, like, I don't think it's a by chance that I'm the only black person in this, in this school, you know, trying to get, trying to get into colleges is, is tough for, for, for people of color, um, discrimination in the, in the job force, you know, affirmative action was because there was too much discrimination stopping people that look like me from getting jobs. Almost every corporate job that I've ever had, I was one of the only black people there. It didn't make any sense. I'm like, there are freaking 200 people in this office. Why are there five people that look like me? That doesn't make any sense. I know we're applying for the jobs. Mm-hmm. So this resume study that came out and they took like 2000 resumes, the exact same resume. Everything was the same, except one was like an Anglo white sounding name. One was like a black name. So one could have been like John Smith, the other, I don't know, Shaquita Jackson or something. And the the resumes that had the white sounding names got fifty percent more callbacks for interviews. Wow! People aren't realizing that you are discriminating against even just the name. So now, the, so then there was an influx of black people literally changing their names just to get interviews. Like these wow. are the extra things that we have to go through. So when we say white privilege, it's like these are all the things that you just don't have to deal with. You don't even your- think about it. You don't think about going into a Starbucks and using the restroom. You don't think about it. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's what's, that's what's so interesting. And I think, I think one of the issues is some of us like, will look at 
this broadly and be like, wow, there's so many problems. Like what can I, I barely have my life together, you know, <laughs> like what can I do to help? And I would love to hear, especially like coming from like on the white side, like what, what do you want to see white people doing? And like, what do you definitely not want to see white people doing? Like, or do you think, do you think people are doing this wrong in any, in any sense? No, right now. I don't think white people are doing this wrong. I think actually white people are doing this right right now. They're actually they're realizing that they have a voice in this movement. Mm-hmm. If if it were up to us, I think white people are realizing if it were up to black people, they would already have equality. Clearly, if it were up to black people, they wouldn't be getting killed, unarmed, innocent in the streets in broad daylight. Clearly. So obviously we need to do something. And right now white people are following. Three weeks ago, we were at 15,000 followers. Today, we just hit 200,000. We all that congrats, <laughs> but I'm like, holy shit. I'm like, okay, what we've been doing for two years, people are finally understanding what we've been trying to say. That is, you need to examine your own racial biases because everybody has them. I have them. Like I said, I grew up in a white town. I grew up with, with white people. So I absorbed those racist messages myself about black people, which was a complete, I was like, oh my God, I need to really, I'm a black person that has racial biases against black people. Like, this is sick. (laughs) You know what I mean? I was like, I'm having some really, some just mind control things happening in my mind right now. But that's how, that's how deep it gets. Mm -hmm. Um, Even to the point where like, there's like colorism within the black community, because like, if you're darker skinned, if you're not seen as like more, like it's crazy. So anyways, um, but yeah, white people are realizing that they need to see where it shows up in their life. They're realizing that they need to educate themselves because they're realizing, holy crap, I did not realize what was going on. And they're educating themselves and they are talking to their friends and family about these things. This, like, this is exactly what needs to happen. You need to find your biases, find your blind spots, educate yourself, speak up in your everyday life and amplify the voices of people of color. That's exactly what I, I think those are the steps you need to do. And then you can find your place. Find what, maybe what specific area you want to, because like you said, it's everywhere. So like what specific area can you work in? I know one of my girlfriends is, is, is a white teacher in New York and her school is almost all white. And she's like, we're in New York City. This doesn't make any sense. Obviously, like she's realizing, wait a minute, this is on purpose. So she talked to one of her friends who's also a teacher. And she was like, you know, we got to do something about this. This is crazy. And her friend said to her, it's very white and we like it that way. And she was like, oh my God, this woman that I've been friends with at this school for two, three years, I had no idea that she was racist until I decided to have the conversation with her. You know what? That actually reminds me of a question I wanted to get into with you. Since you started all of this work and obviously you went from a regular citizen that day to really kind of joining a movement and becoming active, have you seen a backlash? Like when you actually start having these conversations, like what happens when you realize like the people that you thought were cool in your life, like share different values? Like what happens? Like, have you, have you experienced that at all? Yeah. I lost, I lost the best friend of 26 years. I've known her for 26 years since we were literally at elementary school. The last, since I moved to Philly, she was living in Philly. We became like literally best friends in 2013. And when I think about it, I probably saw signs. No, not probably. I saw signs, but I kind of ignored it. I'm like, whatever. It's just, whatever. I'm like, sometimes she's a little bit, I don't know. Mm. So I was like, whatever, like, it's just her. I accept her. I know she, I know she's well-intentioned, no big deal. But then when I became an activist, things changed. When I started talking, actually talking about these things out loud consistently, I noticed 
like a retreat from her. And I have not physically seen her in two years. I'm sure that really hurts. And I think it does, of course. And I think anybody who, um, especially now, like people are really using their voices. And like, I think that's so awesome. Like, I just want to prepare people for that. Like you might have pushback in your life. Like I'm already, you know, like I'm seeing even on my channels, like a bunch of unfollowing and you know what? It's just like, what are you going to do? Like this is going to do. I, I, I'm so many way people that are speaking up. One of my best friends, she was like, Michelle, I lost 19 followers all because (laughs) Like she posted a picture of her and I because we're like literally best friends. We've known each other for years and she's seen racist things happen to me. Like I consider her daughter my niece. You know what I mean? Posted a picture of me and her and all the pictures of us over the years and she's gotten literally scared for my friend. She was like, she could be the next Sandra Bland, like literally. And she was, so she called out and she's like, my other, my other white friends, like, how are you showing up? Like, what are you doing to protect the people you love in your life? And she had 19 people and follow her. But to her, she's like, Bye. Yeah. It's like cleaning out your closet and like, they're doing it for you. You know, like how many times do you like hold on to that nasty, like forever 21 shirt that you should have gotten rid of four years ago? Like it's taking the, it's taking it out for you. That's how I look at it. That's how I look at it. I mean, yeah. I mean, it's, it's, um, that, that, that's exactly what it is. I had, I, a guy friend called me yesterday and he was like, you know, Michelle, I have a lot of black friends. He goes, but I realized that I also deep down, I know that I have a lot of also white racist friends. And, you know, he wants to speak out more about it. You know, he's, um, he's noticed discrimination against his black friends too. And I said, I was like, you know, Jared, you're going to lose some people. You have to be, you have to be prepared for that. He goes, yeah, I know. Like I, damn, he was like, I'm going to lose people. But like, he goes, but you know, when they say racist things, sometimes I don't say anything. Why don't I say anything? And I'm like, well, because I mean, that's our conditioning. I don't know. It's, and it's scary sometimes because racists are, are crazy. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, you don't know what someone's going to do, but that's why it's so important to interrupt those conversations because no one wakes up and decides you don't go from not being racist to murdering somebody. Mm-hmm. It's because you make comments. No one says anything. You make jokes. No one says anything. And every single time you say something, no one who looks like you challenges you. And so, so you keep saying these things and it reinforces the things that you're saying. You start to believe that they're true. On some level, you believe that they're true. And your racism is going unchecked for years and years and years. And so it escalates and, you know, all the way to murder. Like literally, like, like the, 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 people, the, the, the people who killed Ahmaud Arbery, they were getting away with racist things their entire life and no one was checking them. If I check someone for their racism, they're not going to listen to me. If you check someone for their racism, they're probably going to listen to you. Like there are things in our speaking engagements that we have Melissa say that I won't say. That's Just so because I'm like, <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, listen yeah. to her. I don't want to say it because I know it's not going to be received quite as well as if I say it. That's an interesting point too. Um, I know Melissa is your partner from Privilege to Progress. And one thing that I thought was really, really interesting in your story is you mentioned how in the very beginning, the fact that she shared the video and she is a white woman who shared the video, you thought that it like it made the impact it did because it came from her. And I'm interested, like, I think it's really important for, you know, anybody listening, like, do you think that you like you just said, like the white that white people have this this kind of obligation. Like you do have a voice, like a power in this conversation. Mm -hmm. 
and I think so many, so many white people are afraid to use their voice, but kind of like what you were saying of just that it's important to use it because it does hold a certain weight. It holds a weight. People will listen to you before they will listen to me. That's just a fact. Like, I don't know what, I don't know how else to put it. It's an unfortunate fact. I don't like it. Mm -hmm. I wish it was true, but I know that, you know, Melissa and I being on stage is a very powerful scene and it stops people from being able to come up with excuses right in front of us. It's like, you listen, the same things I'm saying are the exact same things that she is saying. So if you don't believe me, then you don't believe her either. And then you, you just, you just don't believe the entire situation. But if you believe her, then you should believe me. Yeah. It's, it's a, it's a hard thing to hear, you know, like I, it's hard for me to think that, that like my voice somehow has more weight than yours. Like I don't think that that's a reality a lot of people understand. And I think it's like just an important thing to, to call out. I know I really want to be conscious of your time and you have been so generous with us and I really appreciate it. To start to kind of wrap things up, I know a big thing, you always push for education um, and it being a really important piece in these conversations. Are there any books, podcasts, documentaries, resources that uh, you would recommend for anybody who really just like, wants to educate themselves better? The first documentary I will recommend is 13th on Netflix. I just watched it. How'd you feel about it? So overwhelmed. Yeah. So overwhelmed and shocked. I'm somebody who I actually studied politics in college. Like I, I don't think that I'm like coming out of this, like with no underlying understanding. And I was blown away. I was blown away. See, like in the first 15 minutes, I had to pause it and just sit and cry. And I was like, where am I? Yeah. What is going on? A lot of, I will say too, like a lot of things clicked for me in watching that mm-hmm. documentary. Like a lot of just like, uh, uh, we talk about having aha moments like on the show a lot. Like it was a big aha moment. Like I was just like, wow, okay, this, this is what's happening. And right. we, it's, I mean, for anybody who doesn't know what we're talking about, if they haven't seen it, I just, I really recommend it. But it is, it talks all about um, just like the systematic, uh, um, putting people in prisons, like how our prison system is basically a billion dollar business. Yes. um, Incarceration has really just, just taken, um, taken the place of slavery. It's legalized slavery. So that sounds really intense. It's a really well done documentary. And I, I I like that you said that that's a good place to start. Yeah. Cause it's, it's an eye opener. I, I, uh, I, I made my girlfriend watch it and she was like, why are you making me watch this? <laughs> and I was like, yeah, bitch. <laughs> I was like, I'm trying to tell you for years. <laughs> She's so funny. Let's see. There's also crack freeway in the system. That's on Amazon prime. That is, I know this is going to sound crazy people, but it's a thousand percent true. This is when the CIA allowed funneling of crack into black neighborhoods. Oh boy. That was an eye opener. Um, for me, that's just, whew, that's just, like madness. And then of course, then they like do the whole war on drugs. It's like, y'all let the drugs in and then you're going to do the war on drugs and then put us in jail. Like, interesting. That's anyways, I don't want to, I don't want to explain too much, but, but again, it's like, that's the things that they do. Like you said, to justify putting us in prison to profit off of our bodies. So crack through in the system 13th, um, when it comes to podcasts, hands down seen on radio, seeing white podcast by a black guy and a white guy. They're scholars, doctors, historians, uh, explaining how race was created because race is not even necessarily real. 
we are the same. I just have darker skin and curly hair. You just have white skin with blue eyes and blonde hair and different texture. But like underneath it, we are the same. Mm -hmm. But race was literally made up. It was a lie to create power and wealth for Europeans. It started by this guy, like Prince, Prince Henry in Portugal. It's all the Portuguese fault. (laughs) Um, And like the 15 or maybe I think, you know, I think like the 1400s. Um, So he, they explained how race was created and how America just took it to a whole nother crazy level and started to purposefully create those um, racial lines to show who was a slave, who wasn't, who um, had rights, who didn't, and how that has just morphed and, and basically um, evolved today. So seeing white podcast, absolutely will blow your mind. Um, as far as books, Stamped by Jason Reynolds and Ibram Kendi. Not stamped from the beginning. That's a super large book. You're going to get tired and give up. <laughs> so Stamped is a shorter version. It's on Audible. It's like four hours long. It's like uh, a breeze. Um, I also really highly recommend White Fragility, why it's so hard for white people to talk about racism. That book made me really patient, much more mm-hmm. patient than I ever was before. I said, oh, okay. I'm, this makes sense. I even have white friends that, that read the book and they text me and they're like, I understand my people now. <laughs> you know, and I'm like, yeah, it's it's it, it's made me oddly patient because I can I can empathize a bit because we've all been lied to. We've all been duped, right? to not talk about race. And now here we are having to talk, like having to figure this out together. Um, so though that book stamped wait for, excuse me, white fragility. I think that's a great start. And I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to put together a whole list, um, in our show notes too. So for anybody interested, you guys can go there, you can click on it. Um, and we'll have all of those resources for you. Cause like you said, I think education is a great, a great start. Great. I mean, it's I'm, like I said, and, and not and not even just if you're white, because just like me, I'm black, and I had to do this education myself because we have to go out of our way to educate ourselves because we're not going to get it. We're not going to get it from our institutions. Mm-hmm. And then finally, I would love to know. I mean, like obviously, things are happening in the world right now. It's it's a lot's going on. Like, and I I'm a big mental health advocate on this show. What are you doing to kind of help yourself during this time? I sit in the sun a lot. I'm like outside all the time, just like sitting outside. Um, I listen to a lot of music, loud music, dance around the house. I like every once in a while, I go from the TV. I'll watch Crank Anchors. Have you seen Crank Anchors? Oh my God. Is that back? Wasn't that show for, I remember that show being in like middle school. Girl, it is. It's like Sarah Silverman, Wanda Sykes, Abby Jacobson, Tracy Morgan, like all these um, Nick Kroll, like grown people, pranky people is one of the funniest freaking things to me. I don't know why I find it so funny. I'm 33 years old. And I'm like, yes, this is the best thing. <laughs> oh my God. Right now. So it just, it takes my mind off of everything. Yeah. And I'm just dying laughing hysterically. Yeah, I used to I, love that show. I'm really happy to hear that that's back. <laughs> Comedy Central, baby. Wednesday nights at 1030. <laughs> like, it is so funny. Yeah, um, laughing people, laughing is self-care. It's really important. Like you said, I'm happy that you brought that up because um, the past couple of days I've been a little bit overwhelmed and tired and I notice it in my body. And there was a time period where in the beginning of this, within the first few months, I actually started to get depression. And I've never been like 
I mean, I've been depressed before, but this was quick and onset because I was doing all this education all one time and it was overwhelming for me because as I'm learning it, I'm also experiencing it. And I was like, oh my gosh, this is a lot. And I remember sitting there one day in my apartment and I actually heard in my body like a downward shift. It like went whoosh. Mm. I heard it in my ears and I was like, that felt really dangerous. I don't know what happened, but I felt like my my vibration just dropped and I'm scared. So the universe, like when you're on your path and you're like, and you just don't want to give up and you keep going, the universe will respond and give you what you need. Within a couple of days, this woman named Dr. Gail Parker came in my DMs just to tell me she's been watching all my interviews. She was super proud of me. She's watching me. She just loves everything that I'm doing. I look her up and she's a yoga, she's a psychotherapist, a psychologist, a yoga instructor that uses yoga to treat race-based trauma. Oh, wow. What? I didn't even know that was a thing that that existed. <laughs> so I said, can I call you? <laughs> she talked to me for like four hours and we just talked. And so now I do yoga much more often now. She's like, there's things that you can do to, to help that trauma. She goes, you were literally hearing depression setting in that not a lot of people recognize um, because we're always in the move, always on the go. But I had been sitting quietly in my apartment with no noise and I heard it. Um, so I realized that sometimes there are days where I don't post at all. I won't get on social media because I need to t- take a step back and have that balance in my life. Because when you're an activist, like the majority of what you do, you're not getting paid for this stuff. This is every single day that we're doing this, that like, this is just what we're passionate about. Mm-hmm. So um, finding that balance is so important. Too much of anything is not a good thing. So make sure that, you know, you don't just have it on every time you turn on the, the TV, make sure that it's not just CNN or, or whatever you're watching. Be mindful of what you're taking in because it does impact your mood. I mean, moment to moment, the things that we're taking in impact our thoughts, our emotions, our actions. So just make sure that a lot of it, just make sure you're taking in the good things too. Yeah, that's such a, a great point. Because I think it, it's easy to get overwhelmed and really wrapped up in something, especially when you're, you care so much and you're, you're passionate about it. But like you said, I think it's it's really important to kind of take <laughs> take some time for yourself, especially all of us are on this journey together and we're we're working it out and just make sure that you're doing the things that make you feel good on top of it. Exactly. Michelle, speaking of, I'm going to let you get some rest because I know you have been on a tear and you've been doing amazing work and I really, really appreciate you taking the time to be on the show. I really enjoyed this conversation. We're friends now, by the way. Yes. I just accomplished. I want to make sure the audience knows if we want more from you, where can we find you? Um, You can find me at Priv to Prague. That is our official activist page, P-R-I-V-T-O-P-R-O-G. And I'm very open to people coming and asking me questions and DMing me. I respond to all my DMs. I try to get to all of them. I'm um, at Michelle Sahin, um, separate from, from... um, proof to Prague. So we're there. We're on Facebook and Twitter as well. And our website is from privilege to progress.org. Awesome. And I'm going to link all of that in show notes for all you guys to check out. Michelle, thank you so much for being on. Thank you. 
All right. That is a wrap on our episode this week. I hope it was helpful and that you got some value. I want to give a big, big thank you to our guest this week, Michelle Sahin. We actually sat and chatted for like an hour after this interview, and she is just such a genuine, kind soul. And I'm really honored that she took her time to be on the show this week. These are important conversations to have, and sometimes they can feel a little uncomfortable. I mean, I can tell you even in this interview, there were moments where I'm like, damn, that came out the wrong way, or I could have said this better. But I think what I'm realizing is it's just way better to be open and to stumble and to learn along the way than to say nothing. So let's all just go a little bit easier on each other. And if you want to dive in deeper, please check out show notes where I have lots of those books, shows, podcasts, and other resources we talked about listed. I also have Michelle and my social media linked if you want to reach out to either of us for some productive conversation. As always, I want to give all of you a really big thank you for tuning in and listening to this show. There are lots of podcasts out there. And just know that I'm truly honored that you choose to spend your time with me. I will be back next week with a brand new episode. And if you get bored before then, I have lots of other episodes you can catch up on. So until then, I will see you next Tuesday. 